2: Hey, everyone. Welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straub, and this is part two of your Week 13 Fantasy Preview episode. On part one of the preview, our crew covered the Thursday night game, plus Bucks, Falcons, Chargers, Bengals, Giants, Dolphins, Washington at Vegas, and Jags Rams. Today, we're hitting the remaining eight games. I'm joined by, as always, by John Daigle, Pat Daugherty, and Denny Carter. Guys, I was uh, playing a friendly online poker match with a few friends over the weekend, and I noticed in the background... One of the guys had some jazzy Christmas music going during the during the match. And this is still November, mind you, okay, because it's December 2nd, we're recording this. So it begged the question for me, when is too soon to start blaring the holiday tunes in the lead up to the holiday?
3: Any date? In an ideal world, there would be a law against playing Christmas music before December 1st. I honestly think that you would enjoy people would enjoy their Christmas music more if they waited until like, I don't know, December 10th or even the 15th. You get 10 days, 10 solid days of Christmas music. You know, how much how much do you need? Really? We have a local radio station that plays Christmas music from November 1st all the way to to Christmas. It's it's a I mean, that's sick. That's just that's that's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. The only good Christmas song is a Christmas song that's not playing. Yeah. Well, uh, I hate to be one of those people, but
3: yeah. How, how do we feel about Christmas jazz? Cause I personally really enjoy some Christmas jazz.
4: Christmas jazz. I mean, I've got a trash can in my office. Denny, wow. I might just have to projectile vomit into
3: it. Wow. All right. Well, yeah.
1: I think I only listened to Alvin and the Chipmunks and my mother was a big Beach Boys fan, so I think they have a holiday album out. Yeah, probably like there, so four of them. That was really the only only one of them as Christmas Brian music I became accustomed to, until you know you start hearing Mariah Carey and all the songs everyone complains about. So I think I think you know November it becomes oversaturation. It's no longer holiday music. It's just music you enjoy listening to and enjoy what you enjoy. No big deal. But there's a point where you know you just have to say, okay, it's no longer holiday music. I'm just listening to this as I would any other band. It's Muzak, M-U-Z-A-K. I,
3: I re I I really do think there's something to to a concentrated holiday situation. You know, where instead of celebrating Halloween yeah. from I don't know Labor Day until Halloween, you narrow it down. You know, you put out your Halloween stuff right. in in the beginning of October, middle of October, even. You have two three weeks of it. It's then you take it down, but you had a nice time. It was a good it was a good little respite from nice the rest time. of the year we need to do the same with Christmas. The thing is Christmas culture has run amok completely.
2: Yeah. I feel like regardless of when the pageantry actually starts every year, I have a moment where I'm out in public. I hear the song last Christmas start playing and I just collapse on the floor in agony. I'm just (laughs) down. Like I cannot, why I cannot move. I I just find that song just like so cripplingly overplayed. I'm sorry to anyone who likes it, but it's just like, I just want to, I just want to just lie down.
3: No, it is overplayed.
2: You're right. Well,
4: this is, I think Denny's hit on an important point. It would be more tolerable if it was like December 5th, like yeah. seven to 10 days after Thanksgiving. Like you don't need to be in Panera or as it's known in St. Louis, St. Louis bread company and hear Bing Crosby's white Christmas on November 2nd. Yeah, just right. This just not, it's right. not serving anyone well, you know, it's still like 78 degrees here in the mid continent <laughs> now that time of year. And it just doesn't make yeah. any sense. All
2: right. Well, I had a major dilemma today with which, 1 p.m. seven or eight point spread to start with but i think we'll start with the 1 p.m. game with the highest total that's the vikings at the lions points bet has minnesota favored by seven a total of forty-six and a half. obviously no dalvin cook for minnesota for their foreseeable future so plenty of talk about them maybe going a little more pass heavy the rest of the way uh daigle do you think that can come to fruition in a game that we think the vikings are going to very much control
1: why not? And if they do go more pass heavy, you know where the ball's going to go. Since they discussed Clint Kubiak getting the ball to Justin Jefferson more as a squeaky wheel narrative a, a few weeks back. It's three games in a row now where Jefferson hasn't dipped below a twenty-eight percent target share. They're literally just feeding him targets now, as you should. The Seahawks should take note with DK Metcalf. I don't know if y'all talked about that yesterday, but maybe we'll eventually get to that as well. Overall, that's what's happened as Jefferson has emerged finally as their true wide receiver one. We also have seen that without Dalvin Cook and two spot starts this year, Alexander Madison got every single running back target, all 15 in his two starts. So I think we know at least where the ball is going to go for the Vikings in this matchup.
4: Yeah. Alexander Madison had 32 touches for 171 yards from scrimmage back in his past week, three spot start, and, and it had kind of been a mini meme amongst fantasy managers the past years that like, we would always like, uh, like build up Alexander Madison's like oh, plug and play RB1 when Dalvin Cook goes out. And then he had a few like hellaciously bad games that thankfully did not happen earlier this year. There has been a little buzz about sensational return man Kune Nwongu, uh getting some extra work. A guy who's definitely seeming like be pushing for carries of touches. He's making sensational t- plays on special teams, including a 99 yard touchdown last week, almost every week. But it just It's just too easy with Alexander Madison. I don't know why they would go away from that plan. And Mike Zimmer, it was actually refreshing to hear him admit that like they've been more efficient with the pass. They've been better with the pass. The run game hasn't really been working as well the past few weeks. But it's the Detroit Lions. Do we really think Mike Zimmer's not going to take the path of least resistance and just run the ball down their throats. And it's such an amazing setup for Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Tyler Conklin but it's very, very, very difficult to envision Alexander Madison coming out of this game with 20, like his absolute floor for carries and more than 30 touches is very much in play.
3: The thing about the Lions is that it's a good matchup for everyone, literally everybody on the field. And, and that it goes especially for pass catchers, for receivers, especially on the boundaries. They they are terrible. We saw Andy Dalton last week. Post, I believe they ended up top 10 fantasy numbers for the week, I, admittedly on a down qu- quarterback scoring week. Nevertheless, it was Andy Dalton. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great matchup for every. I, I think, I think all the Vikings can get there in a sense.
2: So, as for the Lions, DeAndre Swift is expected to miss this game. We saw Jamal Williams get 20 touches for 83 yards on Thanksgiving in that game that Swift left early. So, Denny, your enthusiasm level for Jamal Williams is.
3: It's it's not on the chart. It's I would I would say it's off the chart, right? At the at the moment, I get far too excited about you know one B running backs when they get the full workload. But here we are with Jamal Williams last week with DeAndre Swift out after ten snaps against Chicago. Williams set new season highs in snap rate, sixty three percent, and carries fifteen. And while catching his the most passes of the twenty twenty one season which were five since I'm sorry, since week one, anyway, his workload was large and it will be, I think again, Williams had five high value touches against the bears and we're in a route on 55% of Jared Goff's dropbacks. Now I, and I, I know that this, this coming stat, stat I'm about to cite is related to Deandre Swift, but I don't think we can really, you know, ignore it completely here. 29% of lions targets this season have gone to running backs. That's the highest by far. In the NFL. And you know, also, the Vikings' run defense has been abysmal. Abysmal. The, the Vikings are allowing the highest expected points added per rush over the past five yeah. weeks. And I'll translate that from yeah. nerd to regular people speak and just say they've been horrific. I think it's a fantastic spot for Williams.
4: Vikings' run defense is down bad.
1: Oh, no, oh, no. They'll still be without Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin in this game as well. We'll see if Michael Pierce and Dalvin Tomlinson will even, even though they were practicing, be able to turn around with an elbow injury and Thompson just coming off the COVID list. But overall, yes, we know that Jamal Williams specialized as a pass catching back in Green Bay. This is what he does. And so the fact that Jamar Jefferson and Godwin Abuke were active last week and Williams still outsnapped both 31-9, to like Denny mentioned, a season high rate, and then to just get... 20 of the 21 running back touches behind DeAndre Swift in that game with two other players active, it's going to be all Jamal Williams. And honestly, he's an awesome play.
4: Dagle, do we have any lean on if it's Jamar or Godwin as the as the backup? I, mean, I guess it was Jamar before he got hurt. Do we have any
1: read on that situation whatsoever? I think it would be both, honestly. We're going to get both active for a sprinkling of touches. But even if you're trying to stash like the contingency option – I, I genuinely don't know. Iguod Bukia has made two explosive plays two weeks in a row now, but neither of them really get enough touches to worry about them. Even Jefferson. Jefferson scored in the past three weeks. He's scored two games out of those three games, and it just hasn't mattered. He doesn't get more touches. Like It's strictly Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift.
2: Before we move on from this game, Josh Reynolds, let's say you're, hypo- let's say you're hypothetically in a serious, serious jam at wide receiver. Josh Reynolds had 70 yards and a touchdown on Thanksgiving. Can anyone make the case for josh reynolds would anyone dare make the case for josh reynolds or is are we just calling that a one week kind of pop-up situation and and we're staying away
4: i won't i mean i ranked him
1: like wide receiver 60 yeah. last gasp wide receiver five basically as we always talk about with deep ball receivers and that's what he is the past two games since signing with the lions he has run just two fewer routes than Amon Ross St. Brown as their second receiver, but he has a 22-yard depth of target, and he's only averaging four targets per game. So it's not like we can see his role increase. Maybe his opportunity increases, but when you are a deep threat getting that few of targets, you have to hit on one. Basically, you're playing Josh Reynolds to get lucky. And I am in a situation, I'm in a couple leagues, where I need to get lucky, so I will be starting Josh Reynolds. But he is a thin option. You know what you're getting into when you roster him.
4: And at least like if they're trying to find any sort of positive case beyond maybe hitting a miracle big plays that he at least provides an element that the Lions didn't have before, you know, like Khalif Raymond, Amon Ra are kind of like fighting for the same extreme short area targets, or at least without Tyra Williams now, Josh Reynolds is like the deep threat for the Lions. But as Dago said, you're, you're basically hoping for like a 42 yard touchdown. And that's uh, not a great process in fantasy football.
2: Cardinals at the Bears. Points bet has Arizona's 7.5-point favorites, a total of 44. As of this recording on Thursday, it is sounding like the Cardinals will get Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins back. Obviously, things can change between now and kickoff, but Daigle, if both play, do you worry at all about a lower ceiling in that first game back for both after all that time off?
1: Maybe a lower rushing floor, but just given the lack of options still due to all injuries, I would go right back to Kyler as a middle-of-the-road low-end quarterback one, like I said, a little bit of risk, but still going to play him. I'm sure he's ranked as such, and Pat's ranking as well. He can tell us in a second. And more importantly, really excited for James Conner in this game. We saw whenever the Cardinals got dog-walked by the Panthers, we didn't see Conner's true usage in his first start without Chase and Edmonds. But in the following game, before the bye, he handled a season-high 78% of their backfield touches, as Eno Benjamin was strictly used to relieve him. And now he comes back in his first game for Chase Edmonds with Kyler Murray. And so, like, he's just such an awesome fringe RB1, sneaky DFS option that no one's going to get on because he is a bell cow.
4: And Kyler was a hard one to rank, John. Where Honestly, I don't know. You can see his exact rank. You go to the article. I don't know if I want to say it out loud. (laughs) He's in the top five is what I'll say. And a few few reasons for that. I mean, he had probably maybe his worst game of the season against the Packers in the game where he suffered his injury. He wasn't bad because of the injury because he suffered it on literally the final play from scrimmage before that he had been the QB seven each of the previous two weeks. I'm, I'm not so much worried about, you know, the injury since they were clearly like as cautious as possible with Kyler Murray. Like it seemed to be like the rare instance where a team actually held out a player and his number one receiver until they got healthy. Uh, the bears, you know, kind of already were going the, trending the wrong direction against the pass before they lost Khalil Mack. You know, the reason we're talking about Josh Reynolds hitting a big play is because he did it against the bears. This seems like, and the quarterback is just so weird right now because this range is Jalen Hurts, it's Dak Prescott, it's Josh Allen against Bill Belichick and the Patriots, it's Patrick Mahomes who's had one multi-touchdown start in his past five games, it's mm-hmm. Justin Herbert who's been very boom or bust, so it's just a strange part of the board. And I just decided to basically treat Kyler Murray, like rank him as if like he's still the same guy he was before he got hurt. And I could definitely see a counter argument to that, but I thought it was appropriate to get him back in the top five.
2: On the Bears' side of things, this is the obligatory Demont Nation question. And, Pat, I know you just finished talking, but this has to come your way. Things have been quiet for the Nation since he returned. 15 touches for 80 yards, 15 touches for 67 yards, 20 touches for 74 yards, in his three games back. We know the Cardinals are a run-funnel defense that gives up 4.7 yards per carry, second most in the league. So at this point, is this a game where David Montgomery should pop off as opposed to could pop off?
4: You would think so, and it's been very quiet for Demont Nation, even though like basically no running back is playing more snaps. I think he might have led his team in Week Twelve snap percentage, and so that was just a brutal, brutal, brutal seventy-four scoreless yards against you know the Lions. Couldn't have been a better matchup for the Nation, but like you said, the Cardinals—that's where you want to beat them—is on the ground. That's where I'm sure the Bears, you know, Justin Fields is coming back. That's where they're going to want to focus their attention is on the ground, and it's tough. I mean. In theory, on paper, you would maybe profile this as an RB1 setup. I'm sure no one's really ranking him as an RB1. I didn't. I hedged. But still a high-end, mid-range RB2 for a good matchup. You know, No competition for touches whatsoever, even though Khalil Herbert played so well during his absence. So he's, it's kind of the classic situation. It was brutal. It's been brutal both weeks. No touchdowns since he's been back. But I think you got to go back to that well.
2: By the way, you mentioned Fields. Like, just reading the tea leaves and reading the blurbs on NBC Sports Edge, it kind of seems like it's going to be another Andy Dalton week, right? Or or does anyone feel like it's going to be Fields again?
1: I kind of think they're trying to save their job right now, right, with Nagy? And so they think they have a better chance with Dalton? Correct me if I'm wrong, but
3: Medini's thought this all year, by the way. No, that sounds right. I I think that Matt Nagy... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Matt Nagy desperately wants to start Andy Dalton, and so if if, if Justin Fields is like, I'm a little sore, I'd be like, all right, kid, you're resting Hold until 2024, you know. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be Dalton this week.
1: And we've seen the past two games. Now with Dalton, Darnell Mooney has had a 29% target share. And this, of course, has come without Allen Robinson. Marquise Goodwin also leaving last game. So you have to see what's happening with those two receivers. But Darnell Mooney, 29%. Cole Komet at 19%. Even though they're still doing the thing where they take him off the field and give Jimmy Graham all the end zone targets. So even though Komet, like, Uh. everything is trending. Even his routes run this past week, over 80%. They're all trending up, but he still literally gets taken off the field where it matters most in scoring touchdowns.
2: Denny, where are you on Mooney this week after seeing him go for five for 121 and a touchdown and five for 123 yards in back-to-back games?
3: I have to say mea culpa on Darnell Mooney on Thanksgiving. Pat ran some receivers by me and said, are you playing these guys over Darnell Mooney? And I confidently say, yes, 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 everybody. Josh Reynolds, easily. Everybody over Darnell Darnell Mooney. And I was incorrect. I, I don't think I kind of processed how much target domination is happening with Darnell Mooney and the Chicago offense, but it really is. It, this is a tough matchup against an Arizona defense, allowing the 11th fewest fantasy points to wide receivers this season. But Mooney leads all receivers and air yards since week eight, all, not just bears, all receivers. And his 13th in wide receiver expected fantasy points over the past four weeks. He's ahead of guys like you may have heard of him. Chris Godwin, uh, Jamar Chase, Marquise Brown. I, you know, really impressive stuff from Darnell Mooney since he, the baton was sort of passed to him as the obvious wide receiver one in this offense. I don't even think it matters if Allen Robinson plays at this point. I mean, he didn't practice on Wednesday. Where we'll see about Thursday, but I, it doesn't it wouldn't scare me, scare me off of Mooney. Let's say that
4: a A-Rob, Rob's is not going to play. The quarterback will, Matt. It's been Andy Dalton. has been the one who's yeah. funneling him looks the past two weeks. But right. I sort of think it's going to be Justin Fields, but I agree that it's it's very much up for debate, and the Bears are not to right. right, and
3: here. also the Bears are seven-and-a-half-point dogs right now, at least when I was doing this research. And you would think that they would be forced into a pass-heavy game script even if that's not really what they want
2: to do. The Eagles at the Jets, our friends at PointsBet have – Philly as seven-point favorites, a total of 45. So first things first for Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts is coming off that brutal game against the Giants, had a PFF grade below 50, has also been dealing with that ankle injury. I mean, earlier in the week, there was even talk the Eagles might rest him and play Gardner Minshew. It's looking like it's going to be Hurts. He was a limited participant on Thursday. Daigle, if it is indeed Hurts, I mean, do you think we could see him run less and Altogether, what do you think all this means for Miles Sanders and Boston Scott, who my, Boston Scott, by the way, didn't practice due to a non-COVID illness. So a complicated situation here all around.
1: That would be the concern that he runs less. And having said that, just to get in limited back-to-back sessions and then still tell media on Thursday that he's going to play. I, sorry, Wednesday that he's going to play. Thursday was Miles Sanders telling everyone he's going to play. I would still have confidence in him as a low-end QB1 with a high rushing floor. And then remember, before the Jets literally just moved out of the way for the Texans, they were allowing 7.3 yards per play, nearly 40 points per game in five contests after their bye. So it just happens so that they ran to the Texans last week, and that's why their defense looks better. We still have the utmost confidence in whomever is healthy between the Eagles and Jalen Hurts, and then the running backs, which right now on Thursday – Boston Scott Jordan Howard did not practice. We'll see how that shakes out. If so, that means we just go right back to the well for better or worse with Miles Sanders
4: or whoever's on the practice squad right now and gets promoted on Saturday and then out carries Miles Sanders on Sunday.
2: So Miles Sanders was a full full participant on Thursday, yes. Pat. I mean, well, I think he had nine carries last week, dinged up that ankle. Like, can we can we go back there? I mean, how much how much confidence can you have even in a great matchup that they're going to give him enough carries for it to matter?
4: I really don't think that you can. I wrote in my rankings article this week, like the only consistent pattern with Miles Sanders is the Eagles finding reasons not to use him. And, you know, if Jordan Howard and Boston Scott are both out this week. I don't think that'll happen. Then obviously he's a clear cut, probably top 24 option in a game that not even like the Eagles can screw up the Jets. they almost be impossible for Miles Sanders to get fewer than 15 carries, likely fewer than 20 But if Boston Scott plays and, you know, they're saying it's not a COVID illness and players almost never sit if it's a non-COVID illness, I'm ranking Boston Scott higher than Miles Sanders. I basically am not paying attention to anything anyone says about Miles Sanders anymore in the Eagles coaching staff or really even the Eagles media because basically when the going gets tough, which it did last week for the Eagles, which maybe they weren't expecting against the Giants, they don't give Miles Sanders the ball. They just don't trust Miles Sanders. They don't like Miles Sanders. And – He's like, he's the ultimate Lucy with the football. And if both those guys are out, of course, yes. But if Boston Scott plays, Jordan Howard, probably not going to play. If Boston Scott plays, I mean, Miles Sanders is probably going to get 10 to 12 touches. So you rank that as a flex, but I'm not ranking him as an RB2. And I'm giving Boston Scott the rankings advantage.
2: We know the Eagles have gone ultra-run heavy. That's been reflected in Devontae Smith's targets six, 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 and 4 the last four games. And after that touchdown binge, three touchdowns total in Weeks 9 and 10, he has six catches for 83 scoreless yards the last two games combined. Denny, can you make the case for Devontae getting there against Jets defense that we know is very exploitable? In short, I, I cannot. But I, I will
3: uh, list off the necessary stats <laughs> to back up my my inability to make the case. So it's a it's a decent matchup against the Jets defense, allowing the fourth highest per drop back success rate this season. Teams are being really efficient through the air against the Jets. Of course, they're attacking them primarily on the ground. Devontae Smith has a 25% target share over the past five weeks, which sounds great until you realize that averages out to about five point six targets per game. Not as not as solid as the you know 25% number. Like you said, in weeks nine and 10, he kind of made up for that lack of volume with the touchdowns. Without the touchdowns, I don't see any path to getting there. The Eagles being touchdown favorites against a bad Jets team, they're going to establish like no other team, it may be in history this week.
2: You know, for, for 85 rushing attempts. It's weird to say, but it seems like the Jets passing game needs Joe Flacco back. Zach Wilson just, well, go ahead. Were yeah, you we about to say something, Danny?
3: Yeah. No, no, that changes every. That would change everything. That would change. That would it needs
4: Mike White back and needs Joe Flacco back and needs Josh Johnson back. I mean, there's just it, a lot of guys. Flacco Jets is a
3: fantasy major yeah. fantasy upgrade for everyone in the Jets offense, and and I say that not ironically. I mean, I to Elijah Moore
2: was targeted eight times on Zach Wilson's 24 attempts last week. Unfortunately, I think Zach Wilson threw for 145 yards on those 24 attempts. Pat, I mean, is it fair to say just even based on that game that Moore's ceiling is just completely capped out with Wilson under center?
4: Not completely capped out because even eight targets was a big step forward for Elijah Moore with Zach Wilson. And we've now, he could just be a rookie who's becoming undeniable, where he's commanded targets from four different quarterbacks. Like maybe he's just running too hot that it's kind of impossible for even Zach Wilson to screw it up. And the Eagles are a strange spot for Zach Wilson because they could hammer him for like a million hits. You know, some of the biggest Quarterback performances in the entire year of coming against the Eagles. People completing literally like 80% of their passes. Probably not going to be Zach Wilson. But last week was, I thought, just enough to, to see from Zach Wilson. I mean, I, I get he could see a lot of Darius Slay, I guess. Elijah Moore, I, that's a problem. But like the eight targets from Zach, that was like just enough. I'm like, all right, well, Zach Wilson's like finally getting the memo a little bit
1: on Elijah Moore. The good thing is you at least know what you're going to do with Elijah Moore and playing him. This past week, season high and routes run on Jets dropbacks. And like we mentioned earlier, eight targets. So the usage is elite, but it's a matter of can you outperform whatever Zach Wilson does? And so at least he's on the field if you want to play him. That's not saying you should play him, but at least you know what you're getting, a receiver now on the field, whereas even that wasn't happening prior or earlier this season. So it's really just a matter of uh, risk tolerance and playing Elijah Moore as a wide receiver four now, since we know he's talented, it's just Zach Wilson. It always comes back to Zach Wilson.
2: Fourth game on our list of eight is the Colts at the Texans. Points bet has Indy as eight and a half point favorites, total 45. Now, Jonathan Taylor followed up that five touchdown dominant performance against the Bills with 83 rushing yards and a score against the Bucks. Daigle, we see at Texans on paper, and obviously we instinctively think it's a phenomenal matchup. Is it as good as we think? Is it better? Like, what like How glorious is this matchup?
1: It is absolutely the best. We saw Taylor's floor last week. That was a game, recall, that the Colts called 26 passes in a row at one point in the second half, and Taylor's floor was nearly 20 touches for 94 yards and a touchdown. And remember, in this game earlier this year, he had five rushes of 10-plus yards, leads the league in rushes of 10-plus yards, and now you get him having this increased role basically without Naheem Hines. So Jonathan Taylor, it doesn't even need to be said, is just very obviously the RB1 of the week and the top player in fantasy this week not even
2: close no one even has anything else to no one even has anything else to say what else is there to say
1: no
3: I mean it's a it's a it's a frightening ceiling for for Jonathan Taylor like I think fading him in DFS is probably the most dangerous thing I'm ever going to do in my whole life
4: <laughs> I mean this guy's so good he had 97 yards from scrimmage against the Bucks you know one of the most foreboding and a touchdown one of the most foreboding in a loss run defenses in the NFL. so I, I do I my, I pray for Jack Easterby's Houston Texans,
2: I'm I'm remind I'm reminded of early. In
1: don't, Danny, don't fade him. You can't. He's only a hundred more than last.
2: Uh, week. I mean, I want to feel alive, John. Come on. I I, I am reminded oh, no, of fair. Early in the Chase season when drag. Pat w- was like, all you got to do is just lock Derrick Henry right into that DFS lineup every week. You started with Derrick Henry, and I now I'm, I'm getting sad because I'm thinking about Henry being hurt. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Also for the Colts, Michael Pittman had that midseason surge where he scored five times in five weeks, which was pretty fun. The last three games, though, he has been quiet, averaging less than fifty receiving yards in that span. He did have ten targets against the Bucks, which is encouraging. But Denny, can we can we trust this man this week in fantasy?
3: Yeah, trust is such a subjective word, I, you know. And and I, I don't want to say yes, you absolutely can trust. Him. Can we play him? Do you play him? Yeah, you're probably playing him. <laughs> He was very close to a big day against the Bucs, by the way. He got, like you said, 10 targets, led the team. He he kind of slipped on a pass route that probably would have resulted in a touchdown against Tampa, which is really unfortunate for my lineups. But, uh, you know, uh, Houston, here's the the issue is that Houston is the league's fifth most extreme run funnel defense that could destroy any hope of volume for Pittman or anybody, you know, any other pass catcher for Indianapolis this week. It's a good fantasy environment, just in general. The Colts have a twenty-seven point five implied total. That's the fourth highest of the week as of this recording. So, I think you're still playing him as like a low end wide receiver too. But man, like JT Day could could wreck Pittman's opportunity here.
4: I was gonna say it's the classic. Like for the receiver, like it's such a good setup, but will his team pass at all? And we actually have seen this in two of Michael Pittman's recent down games where, you know, where they just smashed the Jets and the Jaguars on the ground and didn't, well, they didn't smash the Jaguars necessarily on the ground. Did they? I can't remember if that was a smashing, but two easy opponents where the passing volume just was not there for Michael Pittman. So that is the risk with Houston, but that tends to be a very overrated concern in fantasy.
1: And he sh- At least 20% target share in four of his last five games. He was also his own worst enemy in that one. I, I know because I had to cover it for us. Three of his first targets, he dropped two of them outright and that would have moved the chains. It was his own fault. So no, nothing we're too concerned about here.
2: Brandon Cooks is dealing with an illness, so his status is a little bit up in the air. Didn't practice Thursday, but if he does play, I wanted to quickly talk about his outlook because I don't know what else there is to talk about on the Texans ever. There never has been at any point this season. He had three catches for 45 yards and a touchdown (laughs) in that loss to the Jets in Week 12. That big play kind of saved him, and I heard the joke made on our recap show that maybe this is what a spike week looks like for Brandon Cooks now, but, Pat, was that actually a joke, and is there a realistic path to a big game for Cooks the way this offense is operating?
4: you know, the, the famous part about the Colts defense is they don't allow big plays and they've actually been allowing more big plays than usual. And a lot of like mid-sized plays, I guess they've been like top 10 or 12 and like wide receiver fantasy points allowed, but it's been the, the Texans now are trying to do, you know, the hot new trend in the NFL of running the ball 70 times a game with not very good running backs. And that has been a big concern. The passing volume has not been there for Tyra Taylor, really the passing effectiveness has not been there for Tyrod Taylor, and he can always pop the big play. Brandon Cooks, and he still commands such an enormous percent of his team's target share that it's hard to fade his role and usage out of the top twenty-four. But the the floor is way down from where it was early season. Where like the floor was basically like eight targets for Brandon Cooks, and a lot of times like five or six catches. That is gone. The, the, the Texans are fully established. I see no reason to expect that to change. And where he seemed like maybe he was gonna make a life hack is like a surprisingly consistent wide receiver, too. That has proven not to be the case for Brandon Cooks.
1: I was about to say, it's not even really the volume. It's literally like, and over the last month, since Tyrod Taylor returned, they're the worst offensive DVOA. I don't think they have 100 yards in a second half since Tyrod Taylor returned. It's been absolutely miserable on offense, no team. matter what they've tried. Now, David Johnson DMP on Thursday, and they went to without Scotty Phillips with a high ankle sprain. And again, if no one knows that, it's okay, because I know no one tracks the Texans but us. Since we're paid to do that, we have to get paid. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it either. They went, they've went. they gone to a two-running-back system now with David Johnson and Rex Burkhead in back-to-back games, and David Johnson got injured last week. So if you're desperate, again, just like Josh Reynolds at running back, uh, Rex Burkhead isn't the worst option if David Johnson plays, but only if you're desperate.
3: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Matt said, you know, the only person to talk about is Brandon Cooks in the Texans' offense. Why won't the media talk about Rex Burkhead? Why
2: not? Why can't we talk about Burkhead? You guys didn't want to talk about Mark Ingram earlier in the year, though, when he was getting those hollow carries. So I just figured we just weren't going to talk about Burkhead. That was Burkhead
1: three. Either. That was three running backs, if not four. Now they have no choice. Maybe they give Royce Freeman touches. He was active for the first time last week, but he didn't get a single touch. I can't imagine they will give him carries. I think it's just going to be Rex Burkhead in this case.
3: And, and by the way, Pat, Pat's on to something here and with Houston establishing and doing that weird one weird trick where you run the ball they have the set houston has the seventh lowest pass rate over expectation this on on the season so they are focused on the run
2: Four games down, four to go. We mercifully say goodbye to the 1 p.m. hour and move to the Niners at the Seahawks. Points bet has San Francisco as three-point favorites, Total 45 and a half. Let's start, though, with the Seahawks' offense. We all saw this attack look horrendously broken in the Monday Night Football loss to Washington. And we at least saw Tyler Lockett put up 96 yards, doing all that damage pretty early. DK Metcalf, though, just one catch for 13 yards. A bit of a squeaky wheel narrative this week with Russell Wilson saying they need to get into football. Daigle, with all of that said, how bleak are things this week for Russ, DK, and Tyler Lockett?
1: I mean, they just seems like they come out and say something every week about their offense. It just never matters at all. There's a real chance the 49ers just break the NFL record for time of possession in a single game in this one because their run first offense already predicates sustaining long drives and now you factor in this offense for Seattle which has averaged four and a half fewer plays per game the next closest team and since Russell Wilson return not only scoring on just three of their 30 drives and that includes those eight completions for 86 yards and a touchdown this past Monday night that they just came from nowhere with two minutes remaining but also, they've only averaged 19 and a half minutes time of possession since Russ returned. They don't hold the ball, they're not efficient, and they don't score. It's literally the worst case scenario for everyone involved. Like, you can look and say, well, yeah, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett running 90%, 90% of routes, so at least you know where the ball's going. Yeah, but they're still, they're not even in the top 40 in routes run per game because the offense doesn't give them volume or run routes. So it's just genuinely a disaster for everyone yeah
4: they've actually averaged 19 minutes of time of possession the past three weeks
1: 19 and a half minutes since Russ returned yeah and
4: yeah that was 41 and a half minutes against Washington last week which is not one of the best designed run offenses in the NFL they're just doing it on the fly kind of like a lot of these teams we mentioned where the 49ers are one of the best designed rushing offenses in the NFL basically precision designed to keep the ball away from the Seattle Seahawks and it's just like, like to DK Metcalf, he's never been the guy that Russell Wilson like locks onto for like these huge target. When, when Russell Wilson locks onto someone, it's Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett has three, 10 target performances this season. DK Metcalf only has one. That's been a trend. Like DK Metcalf was actually like steadier last year. It's was like when Russ like gets tunnel vision for someone, it's always Tyler Lockett. So I just have a hard time seeing that being DK Metcalf. And just, I, I just don't know how they're going to keep the ball because they're not doing anything well. They're not blocking well. The run game is totally non-existent, except for their win now edition of Adrian Peterson. You know, just like, I don't know what they're going to do. Good and guy. it's the setup. It's, this is just like a team, like an era of football, like in its death throes, basically, this decade of Seattle Seahawks football.
2: Pat, are we just ranking DK Metcalf based on reputation at this point? Seems like a very hard guy to rank right now. Where is he in your rankings this week?
4: Well, he's, he's in the top 24 still as a low and wide receiver too, because like if you're talk about like any given Sunday type of players, it is DK Mecca. I mean, the guy had a, he had a game, you know, with, with Geno Smith where we had like what three or four touches and one of them was an 84 yard touchdown. So that's like always a very real thing with DK Metcalf. He's one of the most compelling, like big play receivers in the entire NFL, but that's like what you're like counting on basically at this point is DK Metcalf popping a big player too. And Ten targets just seems like like totally out of the question. And then even six to eight would be a really good outcome right now for DK Metcalf.
2: In the middle of all this mess, Gerald Everett kind of quietly is re-emerging. Nine targets, five catches, 37 yards, and a score last week. Denny, this obviously is coming your way. Does the target decoder tell us anything about Everett's potential this week?
3: We are decoding, and we're decoding good things for Gerald Everett. <laughs> you guys are shaking your heads. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not. Look, look. 22% target share over the three games with Russell Wilson back. I, I'm, I'm trying to put a put lipstick on a pig. Okay. Here, but you know, th- that leads the team 16 receptions leads the team 137 yards, a second on the team behind Ty- Tyler Lockett. So things, yes, he is, he is being, his usage is good. He's also last week against Washington ran only 24 routes, but that actually constituted a very large share of the route running because Seattle ran so few plays. He was targeted, Gerald Everett was targeted on 33% of his pass routes. That's very, very solid number. So I think he's better than a streaming option. That's what I'll say about him this week. I will say the Niners are the nightmare matchup for tight ends. Like nobody is even close to as tough. Against opposing tight ends,
4: sounds like you got to get him in your lineup then. Well,
3: yeah, I, I mean, I just I want to I want to make sure everybody you know gets it <laughs> that that we're not talking about like lock them in type type deal just because of the situation. You know, uh, the Niners ended our our boy Dan Arnold, so we we, uh, we have to always remember that.
1: The fact I wasn't shaking my head at you loving Gerald Everett so much as the fact that he really does lead the team in targets <laughs> since Russ returned. Like, that's. <laughs> yeah. That shouldn't happen when you have Lockett and DK Metcalf on your team. Yeah.
4: And by the way, Lockett has outgained DK Metcalf 234 to 70 in the three games since he's been back. And this Russell Wilson, there's just no way this guy is healthy. And there's no way he's not being affected by his finger. Because he's had a lot of like uncharacteristic accuracy issues too. And they, they just need to shut this whole thing down and start planning for their next era of Seahawks football.
1: As I wrote in the waiver wire column as well, like Again, if you're desperate, that's really what the 2021 season has come down to. Mm-hmm. DJ Dallas, you know, just fine. If you need, if you need a really thin play, just the fact he played a season high 60 percent of snaps matched Alex Collins with eight touches each. Like I have confidence, he could be a RB two with an explosive ceiling. If they ran more plays, they got him more touches and didn't involve all the players that matter. But also, like, now officially signing Adrian Peterson, and we're pretty much on a countdown clock until they call him and promote him to the active roster. Like, that's the issue here.
2: Man, how pumped is Pete Carroll about that? He is He is so excited.
1: <laughs> the, the fact he he tagged... I mean, we've gone down this road before. We have evidence of Adrian Peterson. That's, that's why it's so easy to say these things. But the fact he also... Connected the term win now with signing oh. Adrian Peterson. That was the egregious part. I,
3: I feel like the, this was inevitable. Like the, the Pete Carroll era in Seattle was always going to end with Adrian Peterson getting 23 touches in a game, right? It was,
1: it would, this was inevitable. You, you can't stop it. It was, if you photoshopped Pete Carroll's face, on the Thanos's body looking down at the gauntlet and it's just five (laughs) stones of Adrian Peterson's face. That was, it's all inevitable. We should have seen it coming from the very beginning.
2: Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Well for the Niners, no Debo Samuel. So on the one hand, the stars seem to be aligning for a big opportunity for Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. But, Pat, we also heard Dagle mention a minute ago the Niners potentially just annihilating the record for time possession in this game. So how does this matchup look, all things considered, for the Niners' presumed top two pass catchers?
4: Well, the way it, what it really looks is a top five day for Elijah Mitchell, who bookended his week 11 absence with 27 carry performances. He had 32 touches and week twelve, just a mammoth total for a rookie running back. A guy that Shanahan is just clearly totally in love with. And on the Elijah Mitchell front, you know, he won't miss Debo Samuel stealing goal line rushes. That was annoying for Elijah Mitchell managers. He will miss him kind of like scaring and like softening up the defense. Like there's no I mean, Debo Samuel had basically become like someone to fear on the ground. And they're sending him in motion for so many basically all of his big runs, he was sent in motion and just find the edge every single time that had to be freeing up some space for Elijah Mitchell, but nothing to worry about with Elijah Mitchell, Brandon, I you, know, 85 yards in three of his past four games. A lot of those, the target totals have been all over the map though. Like he had 91 yards on three catches. I think it was in week 12. Like that's not a great formula, but there's just, it's such a narrow targetry, right? I mean, Juwan Jennings who had not had a roll blurb in like two years was the like the fill-in number two receiver last week after Debo Samuel got hurt? He got scored two touchdowns, by the way. So I guess if you're into that kind of thing, he's the number two this week. But Brandon, you he's he's top twenty this week. He had already been trending towards top thirty. You have to get him in there top twenty because the target share is just gonna be enormous. George Kittle, I mean, we saw the risk. He'd been living off touchdowns, unlike something he had never done before. He's you know one of the ultimate touchdown disappointments, like Julio Jones, but. The floor will fall out sometimes in these run-heavy offenses, especially when you're an elite run block yourself like George Kittle. But, I mean, at any given week you can still count on like four to five catches on five to six targets and good touchdown odds. And last week, like, as a, as a real risk, the one-catch game, but that's still the exception rather than the rule. And, yeah, the narrow targeted tree target tree has to help George Kittle this week.
1: That's why it's it's going to be really interesting to see because there are a lot of ways this offense could go and heighten ceilings of particular players, increase particular roles. Debo Samuel was basically James Conner the past two weeks. He logged as many snaps from the slot as he did the backfield. He totaled just six targets and two catches the past two games. Yeah. But he was averaging six carries per game yeah. because he had become literally their backup running back in that span rather than just getting targets from out wide. And so now if we're not getting those six carries from a wide receiver, does that mean we replace them instead with Brandon Ayuk getting carries? Do we see more voluminous passing offense to heighten Ayuk's ceiling? Does George Kittle, since we know he's not going to fall flat on his face that often like last week, does he soak up more targets? There's just a lot of ways we can go either way. I think we're just at least confident and Elijah Mitchell still being the workhorse in this offense.
4: Dale, I do think Ayuk will probably get like two to three rushes. I guess maybe Jeff Wilson could just be more involved this week. Jeff Wilson was really not involved at all last week. But, I mean, Brandon Ayuk, they have mixed in as a rusher before, and I would not be surprised at all to see two to three carries. Also, something kind of like buttressing his wide receiver two floor.
2: Great, great word choice. He did have a carry last week, his first in a few weeks. Went for four yards. Thrilling stuff. All right. (laughs) The Ravens. What, what what did Denny say? What did he wow. say?
3: <laughs> He's canceled you. No for no no reason. no. I was no, I I was agreeing. That, that's th- thrilling. Uh,
4: wow. it
1: sounded very kind. It of sounded Sunday. very snarky. All right. Like you can talk about Brevin yeah. Jordan and we don't say anything. But the moment Matt <laughs> brings something up, it's all right.
3: Denny, yeah, Brevin uh, Jordan is more f- fantasy relevant than IU. That's. I've always
2: thing. thought we kind of had a civil okay. civil okay. rapport, yeah. but now now I feel a strange tension and. I don't know what's going
3: on. It wasn't about you.
2: (laughs) Okay. Okay. We'll move on. We'll try to move on to the Ravens at the Steelers. Points bet tells us that the Ravens are four and a half point favorites with a total of 44. It really doesn't feel like the Ravens are eight and three the way that things have been going, but I have confirmed that they are in fact eight and three, despite the fact that we have now seen Lamar Jackson struggle in his last two active games. The first time when he struggled, we said, well, that was Miami's blitzing scheme causing him problems. Last week when he threw four picks, the excuse was that he was recovering from the illness that caused him to miss week 11. Maybe those are both valid excuses, but Daigle, all things considered, what is your outlook on Lamar for this game at Pittsburgh?
1: Oh, he has seven picks the past three games he's played. But it was still encouraging to see him bounce back with 17 plus carries in this last one. And now we get a Bengals or a Steelers defense that the Bengals just had no issues whatsoever running over Lamar Jackson, essentially the Ravens running back as well. Although I do expect it to be heavily Devonta Freeman and Latavius Murray to a lesser extent still, as we've seen them become a two headed committee, but overall uh, I would not worry about the Ravens this game. I would expect this is the one they get back on track, especially because we've seen so many times this year, like injuries, inconsistent. But the COVID list, you test or land on the list like Tuesday, you're out. You're not playing on Sunday. TJ Watt, I don't think we're going to get it at all amid all the other injuries the Steelers are dealing with. So uh, just a good bounce back spot for the Ravens offense as a whole.
4: Yeah, Dagle hit the nail on the head. The Steelers defense is just already crumbling. Joe Hayden's not practicing. TJ Watt seems to be very much on the wrong side of questionable. And we have the Bengals rushing it. I mean, I know that uh, the, the Ravens rushing attack isn't what it was last year uh, just because of the personnel issues, but it's almost impossible to see Lamar not getting home on the ground and providing that excellent floor. And they're going to, you know, there's going to be a point of emphasis to get the passing attack on track and Marquise Brown, you know, still getting 10 to 12 targets. There's just, they've like, that's not the Ravens pass. They're, they're not going to keep leaving this much meat on the bone. Basically And Lamar has as good a claim as any quarterback uh, in the league to QB one overall status this week.
2: Denny, with that in mind, trying to get the passing game going, what are your thoughts on these Ravens receivers? I mean, Rashad Bateman, we keep talking about the potential for him to have a breakout game, but he just went 4 for 31 last week. Marquise Brown getting those huge target totals that Pat said, but the the yardage has not been following. So, what's your perspective on these those guys for this matchup?
3: I think it's pretty clear that Marquise Brown is still the the number 1 receiver in this uh, Ravens offense. He had a team high 10 targets last week. He led the team in air yards, even though it was only 68 air yards and a a horrific passing game performance by both teams, honestly, but also the Ravens. So the Joe Hayden injury, I think is significant because, you know, Pat mentioned a minute ago, but he has his foot injury. He's still not practicing. He missed last week against the Bengals and the Bengals really, really picked on his replacements who were in for some reason man coverage against T Higgins and had no chance. And so Joe Burrow re- went after those guys the entire game. I would expect Lamar Jackson to do something similar here. So, yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, Marquise Brown, obviously you're playing, you're playing him. I think you can have some confidence in him accessing something of a ceiling here.
2: I don't want to overstate things, but it, it's almost like the Steelers offense looked broken last week. Now, Deontay Johnson Clay, yeah. and Chase Claypool are still, salvaging some value in the midst of that wreckage but what about Najee Harris a season low 37 yards from scrimmage last week Pat can he bounce back are you are you genuinely worried about not the way Najee's trending or not at all just considering you know the usage we've seen from him this year
4: I'm not really worried uh, in general but you know the Ravens like the, the place to beat them is the air not that they're like a shutdown run defense but still much more vulnerable through the air and it has been concerning with Najee Harris because we went through essentially two months where it didn't really matter what the who the opponent was, like what the game script was, like he was going to get 20 plus touches. They just found a way to make that happen. And now that has not happened in back-to-back weeks, 17 touches and 11 touches. And one of those was a shootout, kind of where they were trailing for a while against, this, uh, against the Chargers. So I guess maybe not like amazing game script and then, you know, awful game script. So I've seen him not get home in kind of two different situations i guess the ravens won't blow out the steelers i mean vegas doesn't seem to think so four and a half points sounded very light to me though that seemed kind of shockingly light actually for the ravens and it is possible that this offense is just so broken running so poorly right now that the the carry counts are going to be super volatile for Najee harris you can probably still count on four to five catches every week even though he didn't get that last week but I guess in general, I'm still considering Najee Harris. Every week, I'm just assuming he's going to get 20 plus touches. But there has been enough reason for concern that I, I, I would entertain the counter argument to that. Basically,
1: it took that immense outscoring game to get Harris off the field. Otherwise, we haven't seen him come off the field at all. So no, like I would not think every team blows them out like the Bengals just did. Thus, Harris will be fine. We know they have no interest in scaling back his workload at all. They're still going to run Ben and Harris out there every single week, no matter what their record is. So nothing to see here. And I will say, like, it's not sexy at all, but we know what's going to happen. Like Ross is going to get 40 plus attempts and he's going to throw them within three yards of the line of scrimmage. So Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, like they're still just fine options because we know even Fryermuth, because we know exactly where he's going and we know he's not going to throw downfield.
2: And he stayed in until the bitter end of that game against the Bengals to get that touchdown. I think it was like made Playpool. cut it from forty-one to three to forty-one ten, right? That was he yeah. was in just at the very finish for no good reason.
3: Yeah, it it saved Deontay Johnson's fantasy day. Honestly, speaking of Claypool, he he left a lot on the field last week against the Bengals. You don't say. Had yeah, well, yeah. Right. I Feel like
2: that's what he's been doing all year, but right.
3: Uh, yeah. He he dropped he dropped two one that was horrific and 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 the one I'm talking about is, is one where he had room to run after the catch so could have been a, a much a much better day for him uh, getting back to the running back thing with Najee Harris what I'm amazed by is that Elijah Mitchell despite missing significant time this year is go- is probably going to be the leading rookie rusher over over Najee Harris wow. on on way fewer touches so it's a that's that is something to me
1: i I was revisiting some best ball stuff. Like it still amazes me that people talk like so in depth about best ball right now. It's week 13. We still got six weeks to go in this thing, trying to win some redraft championships. But I was revisiting some stuff and remember like a major talking point was stacking the 49ers for weeks 15 through 17. But unless you stack Juwan Jennings and Jimmy Garoppolo and Elijah Mitchell, (laughs) none of it's going (laughs) to get there at all. So maybe I personally should uh, step back a little bit on the (laughs) stacking for weeks 15 through 17 next year. It was good process. As my wife left me, that's, that's what I told her.
2: I will say I don't have I don't have any numbers to back this up, but I I do think Chase Claypool is probably one one of the handful of the most frustrating players to actually watch and have on your fantasy roster this year. So many, yeah. so many almost plays, mm-hmm. but it doesn't yeah. doesn't actually and, count. And
1: mm-hmm. Dinny Denny said it well though. A lot of it was at least left up to him like Pittman, his own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. I've seen some people like cite his air yards, but we know Claypool's air yards don't matter. Those are prairie yards. Rossberger can't connect downfield. So more manufacturer touches would certainly help.
2: All right. We're headed down the backstretch of the NFL season and the NBC Sports predictor app powered by points bet has you covered with Sunday night seven. We are giving you a shot to win $1 million every Sunday night throughout the rest of the regular season. It is free and easy to play predict what will happen between the Broncos and Chiefs for a chance to win. Plus, Right now, you also have a chance to win an extra $25,000 by making your picks for the People's Choice Awards, which airs on NBC and E! on Tuesday, December 7th. So download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. And speaking of Sunday night, on Sunday Night Football, it's the Broncos. At the Chiefs, points bet has Kansas City as 9.5 point favorites, a total of 47. Guys, we are going to answer one of those questions from the aforementioned Sunday Night 7 coming up. But first, let's break down this game Patrick Mahomes, 7-0 against the Broncos in his career. But these Chiefs put up just 19 points in their win over the Cowboys before the bye. Daigle, any chance after the bye of this explosive passing game that we actually saw against the Raiders making a return? Or uh, are we back to just more Kansas City frustration?
1: They put up 20 or less than four of their last five games. Pat also mentioned the stat on Mahomes earlier on his touchdowns. And it, I think it's just another roller coaster game. That's the one aggravating thing i think that's what i'm most frustrated about the 2021 season is that in order for the chiefs to be good they had to get boring they're unwatchable now so they are a better team and running heavily and focusing targets underneath the tyree kill underneath the daryl williams and clatter dillair but they're just not fun anymore and so like now we watch them grind out drives to hide their defense which has been really good the past month as well. So they've they've rejiggered their front seven and added a few players to the mix, including Melvin Ingram. And so yeah, I think they're a right. strong team, but a shootout, a potent offense, I, I don't think that's what we're getting in this game at all.
4: Yeah, I mean the Broncos, the stat that Dagle mentioned was yeah, once in his past five games is Patrick Mahomes thrown for more than one touchdown. And the Broncos are really, really, really good pass defense. They're one of only four teams permitting a sub 60% completion percentage. They're near the bottom. and I think they're bottom four in quarterback fantasy points allowed. You know, some of those stats were still Vaughn Miller in the lineup, but Von Miller wasn't exactly having like a world-beating campaign for the Broncos. And it's just tough. I mean, they're coming off their bye. So that's good. Andy Reid, a, a famous adjuster, famous post-bye coach. So he probably figured a few things out during the bye. Uh, you can't – Patrick Mahomes is the classic. Like you can't ever rank Patrick Mahomes like outside the top ten or twelve. I was like the QB 7 or 8 because the the, the blowout potential is just there every week. But it's just hard to see a path to one of our classic patented Patrick Mahomes games, just considering the way he's playing and considering the opponent.
2: So the Chiefs on the ground, we saw Clyde Edward DeLair get 14 touches for 76 yards and a touchdown before the bye. How high is he ranked for you this week, Pat?
4: He's unfortunately in the top 20, and it's kind of a weird situation where he got out-snapped by Darrell Williams in the Chiefs pre buy win, of, that was the Cowboys game, right? He actually out snapped C E H, but C H out touched him fourteen to six. C H handled the ball, I think, on fourteen of thirty two snaps. So kind of the classic. He wasn't back up to his typical playing time allotment, but when he was in, when he was in the game, they were prioritizing touches for him. I can't see like the post buy adjustment being like, all right, we're going to go back to Darrell Williams. Seems like things are trending in the right direction for C E H and. Just a, a touch-based RB two because twelve to fifteen touches almost guaranteed could finally be a week where he gets like back in the twenty range for Ceh and yeah he's the despite the
1: weird snap allotment he he's the clear clear play over Darrell Williams his seventy percent share of backfield touches was his highest since week two as well thirty percent for Daryl Williams which is his lowest since week two I do think we see an increased role I, I just think that now with fourteen days off we're going to get what we will get from CEH the rest of the season. Hopefully that is an increased role. We are doing a little wish casting here, but overall I do think now being a more concerted offense that hones in on running backs for targets, maybe it was because Daryl Williams earns targets. He has been their better pass catching, but maybe they actually feed CEH more for four to six per game. And that's actually kind of what I'm banking on for the rest of the season.
2: We'll get to the Broncos' backfield in just a second. First, though, uh, Denver only threw it 25 times, and that went over the Chargers last week. Obviously, they do not do not want to air it out in any way, shape, or form. But with Kansas City favored by 9.5, Denny, could we see any of these Broncos' pass catchers produce fantasy-relevant day? I mean, because we certainly didn't see it last week.
3: Maybe. You know, it's, just, it's hard for me to say that Teddy Bridgewater can support more than... One or possibly two, depending on game script. Pass catchers as you know, fantasy relevant type guys. We we have not seen it lately for sure. The Broncos have the ninth lowest pass rate over expectation over the past four weeks, so they're trying to keep it conservative on the ground, like basically every other NFL team over the past half season, which is great. The fantastic.
4: Pass is being outlawed. It's right. Really
3: it's right. Passing the ball has been canceled, uh, unfortunately. So. <laughs> and 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 Dagle mentioned Kansas City's de- defense is not the pushover that we had in the first half of the season. Like right. they're not just they haven't just improved. they're they're actually good. You know ba- based on expected points added, they are the fourth stingiest defense over the past four games. Kansas City opponents have the third lowest dropback success rate uh, since things kind of turned around for them in week nine. So this is, I think this is a really ugly spot for the uh, Denver offense in
2: general.
4: Chiefs defense does that every year, by the way, where they come out looking like the Seahawks, and then the second half of the season, they're always like a lockdown unit.
2: So speaking of that Broncos backfield, Melvin Gordon reportedly 50-50 to play on Sunday as of Thursday afternoon. We're recording this. How high would we see Javante Williams climb? Uh, We're talking about the matchup not being great, but the opportunity would obviously be – likely phenomenal where are you on Javante if Gordon is ruled out
4: I was just pulling this up to look at it because I hadn't really considered the question yet because I didn't think Melvin Gordon would actually sit until the report this afternoon I sort of feel like if Melvin sits they're still gonna go with the two-man backfield with I guess the other guy being Mike Boone but yeah you'd, I'd probably still slide him probably ahead I'd probably move him up to RB 15 I am RB 20 I'd probably move him up to RB 15 ahead of Daryl Henderson. Than what I think I would do with Javante Williams. So a very high-end RB2, even though I would be expecting some Mike Boone work.
2: Okay. Any final thoughts there, Dave? You, you look like you're pondering. You have a pondering look on your face.
1: No, uh, that's, Yeah, that's that's about where I'd have him. I do wonder how much they would use Mike Boone. Last year, recall, we saw Melvin Gordon average 20 touches per game in the five games I think it was. He played without Philip Lindsay, So maybe maybe they treat Javante like a workhorse yeah, I, I would like to see again. I'd like to see Javante without Melvin Gordon. Since even last week, Javante got there, but there really wasn't a change in anything. Melvin Gordon was still heavily involved and was still just fine. That's the whole argument for Zeke and Tony Pollard. It's the whole argument for Javante and Melvin Gordon. The other one's been just fine. So whatever. Also, in Dago, there would be
4: there would be a sky high upside because absolutely. even if they get down multiple scores, you know the Broncos are going to have to keep running and. A big play threat, every metric, you know, keeps grading out Javante Williams is one of, like, the most explosive backs in the entire NFL. If he finally got, like, that kind of monster workload, you know, like that many big play chances, he could go straight. Also, there
1: are two two things going on with the receiving cores here. For the Chiefs side is that Miguel Hardman has been eliminated entirely. Actually, fifth in routes run among their receivers in their last two games. Byron Pringle, second with 64, to Demarcus Robinson's 46. So it's Byron Pringle, but also he's only earned three targets in that span. He doesn't earn targets even though he's a second receiver. That's why the running back has essentially become their third receiver behind Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. And on the other side of the ball, it's just like you can't use Cortland Sutton at all. Judy has a 22.5% target share since he returned in week eight. Sutton has 11% in that time. And Tim Patrick has more air yards than Sutton as well in that time, just like it, Sutton is a wide receiver 5 or 6, genuinely, until he proves otherwise.
2: Okay, we mentioned Sunday night 7 before, so the final question on this game is a quick around the room here. Who wins this game and by how many points? Pat, why don't you step in first here?
4: The Kansas City Chiefs, and if, what the line is 9.5 or something. They'll win by uh, 10 points. They'll cover. The Chiefs are going to win and cover. That's what I'll say.
1: I like the Broncos to cover Chiefs to win by 6.
3: Chiefs by... 14. All right.
1: It is the post buy.
4: It's their Andy Reid narrative. Post buy, three for three. We picked the Chiefs. That's if we were legally allowed to play Sunday night seven. I know know he's
1: 19 and two straight up. I don't know what he is against the spread, though. After a buy,
2: it's a big spread.
1: Big spread.
4: Bigger than normal spread.
2: By the way, closing the book <laughs> on something we were talking about earlier, I know you guys have been very anxiously wondering about the Bears QB situation. Andy Dalton did take the starters reps again on Thursday while Justin Fields is limited, so we are trending. Oh we are trending towards. that's good news. Does anyone know where mine and Daigle's Dalton versus Winston bet stands? Wow, that's a great, great question.
4: I need Mooney. That's by a... the way, I need Mooney to go bonkers
1: in my Dynasty league. So,
4: Andy Dalton, if you're listening, yeah, just let Justin heal up. Just let him heal
2: up. He's listening.
1: I think I think Diddy's actually backdooring. <laughs> right uh, Matt, you can go on to the next game. I'm okay. Right
2: okay. Sounds good. So that next game is our final game. Is Monday night the Patriots at the Bills? Points bet has Buffalo as three point favorites. A total of forty three here. I was going to ask this first. I was thinking about asking this first question to Daigle, but he's looking up the all important Winston Dalton bet. So we're gonna juggle the order here. So let's start from the Bills side. I mean, obviously we're starting. Josh Allen is Stefan Diggs in season long leagues, no matter what. But I mean, how much are you lowering your expectations, Pat, based on the matchup against New England?
4: Well, this is kind of like the final boss for Josh Allen because he's had a shaky <laughs> year. He's had a lot of down games. He actually had one of the biggest games of his entire career against the Patriots last week, 16. And kind of like, oh, you know, not even Bill Belichick can stop Josh Allen now, folks. But Things are just a lot different for both these teams since last year. We've seen the Bills catch too high safety disease. We've seen the Bills, like, go crazy trying to get the run established, you know, like, tinkering with their backfield on a weekly basis. And we've just seen the Patriots return to being, like, an absolutely locked-down pass defense. They're allowing the second-fewest quarterback fantasy points. They're allowing a sub-60% completion percentage. They have 19 interceptions. They've only allowed 14 passing touchdowns. They have it a very soft schedule. We haven't had to play many Josh Allens, but this is, like, a big – this is probably the biggest test, I would say, of Josh Allen's entire career. I mean, I know he's played in, like, the AFC Championship game, but, like, it's his fourth year. He needs to start – this can't be a spot where he face plants. Like, if Bill Belichick just, like, easily game plans for Josh Allen shuts down the Bills passing attack in this game, that's just, like, a really, really bad sign, the kind of red flag for this Bills offense
1: like in 2021, and it's kind of like going forward, like
4: what should their identity be?
1: Okay, not to deter, but I've been really in depth here, and I got an update. At first, I thought it was points, fantasy points per game. And Winston is averaging seven more, seven and a half more fantasy points per game, 16.8 to Andy Dalton's 9.3. And then I looked at the bet just because this is why I use Twitter, pretty much as my journal. Everyone can take see my notes on players and bets and everything there. And the bet is actually fantasy points, total fantasy points. I have Jameis, Denny. you have Dalton. So right now, yeah. not that it's any better for you, but Winston has 117 points. Dalton has forty-six. So right. Dalton is still Dalton is still seventy what? Seventy four, I believe. Seventy six? Seventy one.
2: I seems like if, <laughs> if you somehow got like five Dalton starts, you might you you'd get Close, because Dalton had fifteen something against Detroit last week. I feel like that's a sort I, of a safe estimate. Winston had eleven hundred yards and fourteen
1: him. touchdowns. Oh, All right. You know, Dalton has one hundred and twelve attempts, seven hundred eighty yards, seven touch or four touchdowns. Like he's only thrown four touchdowns, and what a majority of that came on Thanksgiving. Dig, I,
4: I thought the, like that number was so small for Dalton that you had to be wrong, but you're not. Wow, you're kind of in the driver's seat. <laughs> was, he was bad. He was very bad at the beginning of the year. <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's weird that in this Bears offense, he hasn't put up more fantasy points in <laughs> his limited opportunity running that. He didn't machine.
4: throw
1: Darnell Mooney enough early in the season. He finally
4: he got the memo. So, so it's Denny's only shot. It's
1: not out of the question, did he? But you do need Dalton basically to start every game from here on out.
3: Matt Nagy, if you're listening, you know what to do. That's all I'll say.
4: So does anyone agree with me that Josh Allen's entire reputation is on the line this weekend?
3: this game has gravitas this is this is uh, this feels like the the biggest game the biggest regular season game in of the year certainly maybe of the past couple years like this is huge with the patriots looking inevitable with the bills struggling you know like they are so man yeah huge game and yes people will be talking quite a bit about josh allen's failures if the bills can't win this game now
4: it's the classic game. Like someone's getting exposed, either Josh Allen's getting exposed or the Patriots are getting exposed as the product of a soft schedule. It's the favorite kind of NFL game. Just when, you know, someone's leaving this game, like exposed and giving people to tough something to talk about all week on like seventh take or whatever the shows are, you know, where they shout at each other and like,
2: Denny, you're talking about how huge this game is. Clearly, you didn't watch the Falcons-Jaguars last game, or last week, or you just forgot that that happened because you can't throw that kind of hyperbole around. Right, when you've got North Florida got that versus
3: halfway. Georgia and that, that rivalry with all those people there. They don't like each other. They
2: don't. They don't like each other.
1: The Falcons PR team just listing Keith Smith among vote him for Pro Bowl is still the first <laughs> thing I've ever seen. At least oh, for the boy. Bills, though, again, You're starting Josh Allen, but at least you know also the receivers are starting. It's become very clear. It is literally only Josh Allen's Stefan Diggs and Dawson Knox. Everyone else sort of just fades away. Maybe you can hope for a big play for Emmanuel Sanders, even though he hasn't gotten there. This is now five weeks in a row. Maybe you can hope Cole Beasley's involved underneath, even though we've seen with Dawson Knox's role just continuing to increase every single week. See return from injury. Cole Beasley's eliminated from the offense as a whole. It is basically Josh Allen and those two guys. What do you guys
4: think's gonna happen to Josh Allen? Like, do you think he's gonna have a good? I guess he could. It could just be a push where he doesn't have an amazing game, but he still gets two touchdowns. Doesn't make any like really bad turnovers. But what are? Because I mean, is the Patriots defense actually this good, or is it just because they're somehow playing the Jets like every single week?
1: They are. They're not bad, but is also you have to ask like, is the Bills' offense that good, or are they just playing the Jets every week as That's well? A good point. So. It's uh, it's That's truly a It's a really good uh, We're about to learn something. That's why I'm excited for the game.
4: Denny's right. It's a colossal game. It's like a really it's it feels like a game where we're going to learn something. Yeah, we're we're going to learn something on Sunday.
3: Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, Monday. the the Patriots will be just slotted into the Super Bowl if they win this game by 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 many. Okay, including myself. People are saying I I will say that the Patriots are incredibly vulnerable on the ground. <laughs> I mean, it it sounds weird, but like. Okay massive run funnel they gave up a ton of yards last week to tennessee in the the titans were running while they were down you know down bad and and sorry i couldn't help myself but yeah and and so if the bills can do something on the ground i think that that's that's what they'll do is that does that mean it's matt breeda
1: season i don't know as i wrote in the waiver wire column as well breeda actually handled eight of buffalo's first nine backfield touches over Devin Singletary. And then he ran the wrong way on a screen passing, like putting McDermott's doghouse until the fourth quarter, came back had that 22-yard touchdown on a screen. But I do think, I don't think it's what the snaps and touches indicated with Singletary colossally, I don't know if that's a word, over Matt Breida. I think actually Breida is the one like in a timeshare here. So I think both are fine as long as it remains two-headed committee, not three-headed now that we expect Zach Moss to be healthy scratched again.
4: Well, that was the thing, Diggs. That do I feel like he might be active again this week? And because Sigmund Bloom pointed out on Twitter, I mean, I think as Denny hinted at, I think the Patriots are going to be like daring the Bills to. I mean, the Patriots aren't going to mind being a run funnel. I feel like this week, and they'll be totally happy and like inviting the Bills to try to run. And that's a more dangerous game than it is with the Titans because Josh Allen's like a total. I mean, Ryan Tannehill's been fine, I guess, in the red zone, but like Josh Allen is like elite in the red zone, and. You can't just let the Bills like run and then just tighten up in the red zone and like hold them to field goals. That's not going to really happen with the Bills. So this you know, this game is just so fascinating from every
2: aspect. So it doesn't sound like Daigle, you're all that worried about what we saw from Breida, because I think if you watched the game and you had played Breida in a season long league or or in DFS or whatever, you you like were really worried until that late touchdown saved his day. It doesn't sound like you're too worried about something like that repeating itself.
1: Well, it comes down to the inactives. Like Pat said, if Zach Moss is available again, then I'd be worried. And I wouldn't want to play any of them because you couldn't play any of them when all three were active. But if it's just two players, there's only you know one or two directions to go. So I would still pick up Matt Breida and deeper leagues for sure.
2: Speaking of backfield headaches on paper, this all looks less than ideal for Damian Harrison and Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, both in terms of the matchup and the backfield split, we've talked on this podcast I haven't, but other people have early this week about how a number of Ramondre Stevenson's carries actually came late in that win over the Titans after the game was kind of decided. Damian Harris is sort of still the 1A, but he's clearly taken a hit since the emergence of Ramondre. So, Denny, uh, what's your outlook on this Pats backfield for Monday night?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, Brandon Bolden actually led the New England backfield in high-value touches last week against Tennessee. He had four three for Harris, two for Stevenson, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty ugly. I, I I don't, I don't really have like a, like a skeleton key for how to figure out who's, who's going to do what here for in the Patriots backfield. But you know, they, we know what they want to do. We know, you know, we know the Patriots want to be conservative and keep it on the ground. New England has the third lowest pass rate since week six, uh, when their season sort of turned around Stevenson and Harris both have 21 carries over the past two weeks. each have 21 carries i know that that a lot of that came for stevenson late in the game against the titans but yeah i I think i think he is clearly the the one b talking about stevenson to damian harris is one a probably harris is a better bet for a touchdown in this game
4: yeah harris was much more evenly involved it was only 11 carries but he was more evenly involved or it was five of reminder stevenson's nine carries came on one drive in the fourth quarter and which is a little misleading because he's, he's like a legit change of pace, like legit breather back. And that's that's like a real role in a run-heavy offense like the Patriots are. But Damian Harris, like Danny says, still clearly the 1A, still clearly has the, the advantage near, near the goal line and in the red zone. He's really the only guy handling the ball inside the 10. Ramondre can handle the ball inside the 10. Like if the Patriots are doing their thing where they're kind of in the zone and not subbing, like they'll keep Ramondre Stevenson in. But Damian Harris – that's what kind of gives him like the truly decisive rankings advantage. He has a, he has a modest but real carry advantage and then like a decisive advantage in terms of like goal line carries.
2: Kendrick Bourne lastly has had a couple of really big games in the box score lately. Daigle, is this, is this becoming a bona fide thing or are we taking too big of a risk by throwing Kendrick Bourne in there as like a desperation play? Is he more than a desperation play? I guess I'd ask as I stumble into that question.
1: It's still the bills. Like, for all the flaws the Bills have, it's their defense that we have consistently been concerned about, especially against the pass. Uh Bourne has been the wide receiver 12 in fantasy points per game, surprisingly enough, since week three. And so I do think he's a high floor option since he has a 18.5% target share over the Patriots last five games. But also keep in mind the way the schedule works this year is that every team gets jammed their divisional games at the end of the year. And so Bourne actually plays the Bills in two of the next three weeks. And so as I wrote in the waiver wire column, just temper your expectations. Because the guy, like you thought you were getting you got prior you're just not going to get in this fantasy playoff stretch and that's why i'm worried about him overall and
4: he probably has some dolphins in there too doesn't he Dagle?
1: yeah I mean, it the is weird are, though i mean the dolphins are a nightmare right now
4: they are i just had this nightmare vision though so I mean, this would be the bills first game without tredavius white one of the patriots like passing attack looks really good and just like the media narrative is that the pats are all the way back we were silly to ever doubt them and just what if basically like the apocalypse arrives and the Pats just like throttle the bills? I'm very, I'm pretty sad if that happens.
2: All right. Before we go is where you guys mentioned what's going on uh, here on the podcast and on NBC Sports Edge, the website.
4: You know, a couple, two, three rankings updates over the weekend and back for my live chat on Friday, keeping the ranks update all weekend. You know, maybe seeing my allergist for my
1: swollen eye that I cannot stop itching. Dude, that's why I'm, I'm so congested. Like, I hang around adults. It's just fine. I come back to see the family and are hanging around kids, and they're like Lamar Jackson. Oh, yeah. They just carry all the illnesses around with them. So now like, I'm battling something. The last three days, it's been absolutely miserable. But we powered through. Yeah, I've had my
4: kids unmasked around Lamar Jackson a few too many times. I'm sorry. He's missed so many practices. We we'll powered through,
1: and I'll continue fighting through, taking Theraflu and hot toddies in between, and Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, DFS Building Block Show. All the running backs are in play this week. Kyle and I will sift through all of them for you.
3: Kicker content is live on the site, NBCSportsEdge.com. Also, Target Decoder is up. I actually talked about three run-heavy offenses or teams that want to be run-heavy and how that impacts
2: their top receivers. So check that out. All right, that will do it for us on this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. I want to say thanks to everyone for listening and for watching live with us. Daigle, Pat, Denny, thanks to all of you guys. Good luck in week 13, everybody.
3: For 25 years. Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive
0: drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.